Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we're on Philadelphia and Open Door. Philadelphia and Open Door, Revelations 3, 7, and 8, well, through 13, 7 through 13, but we're just going to do 7 to 8 right, right now. Uh, this is the original Philadelphia. You know, we are near Philadelphia. We, when everybody says, where are you from? We say Philadelphia area because that's the closest people could figure out. But uh, this is the original Philadelphia that we're going to be looking at in Asia. It means, the, the word means brotherly love. Not like what we see in Philadelphia today. <laughs> we're known for throwing snowballs at Santa you know, and booing our sports teams here in Philly. But not like that. This was a really brotherly love, a city of brotherly love. Finally, another positive church, a really positive church here in Philadelphia. We're looking at the seven churches that Jesus wrote, and they apply to all churches from all universally and all of us as individuals. But they were a specific seven church, seven churches at that time also. And in each of the letters, there's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. Philly is the only church that is 100% positive. There's no bad and no warning even. So really, really a positive church. You look at the map here, you can see, trace around to the sixth church in our, our loop here, the church in Philadelphia. It's 25 miles southeast of Sardis, which we looked at last time. You can also see a picture of what it looks like now, and we'll come back to those pillars uh, next time, next uh, phase of our sermons here. We'll see what is really going on with those pictures there. But Philadelphia means brotherly love. You know that William Penn, the Quakers, uh, brotherly love. It's The original city was uh, established by King Attalus II. He founded it only a couple hundred years before this letter was written. He was very close to his brother. He was a king, but in the royal family, usually they're poisoning each other, trying to kill each other. No, not, not he and his brother were very close. They loved each other, which and he earned the nickname Philadelphus, which means brother lover. So they, he loved his brother so much, he didn't try to poison him. So that was very unusual. Named him, named him, nicknamed him Philadelphus. And then he established the city. It was a vine growing region, a lot of volcanic ash there. It was a vine growing region, like think of the Napa Valley of Asia Minor. It's also like in California, earthquake prone, which we'll discuss later. Uh, today it's called Al-Shazir, which is Arabic for city of God. It's about 20,000 people today at this time. The We're not sure when the church was established, but we know by the time this letter was written, it was a flourishing church. In fact, from 100 to 160 AD, it flourished. It was a really, really positive church. It's interesting that the uh, church historian Eusebius mentions the church in Philadelphia, and he mentions a prophetess by the name of Amia, having such a positive effect on the church. She was a true prophetess versus Jezebel and Thyatira, which we saw a couple weeks ago. All right, so let's pray before we dig into this. Father, we just thank you for such a positive church here and an encouragement. And Lord, we pray that we would be these kind of Christians, and, and we would be part of this kind of a church. Lord, whatever is going on in our church, I just pray that this would be an encouragement for us to refocus and be like the church of Philadelphia. I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read the passage first of all, all, all seven verses. <clears throat> to the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David, 
What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven and from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're going to get into all this uh, next couple of sermons here. But today, I want to focus on the beginning part. Verse 7, first of all, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So we have the introduction and a description of Jesus here. He says, holy and true. This is affirming the divinity of Jesus Christ. Only God is holy. We know that from the Bible. And also true. The word here, true, means genuine. And the idea is it means the only true God versus the idols that they're seeing all over here in the church of Philadelphia is seeing in their city. And this is a very vital app identity for us of Jesus today in the USA today it's a very important because we live in this not a time of religious diversity just like the church in Philadelphia lived in a very diverse community we live in religious diversity and everybody is the same and I remember when I first started this church here in New Hope I was invited to a religious service at a church that sounded Christian and I got there and he had invited all the different churches in the area and also a lot of not Christian groups, to be part of this. And I'll never forget what he said, this apostate pastor, I wouldn't even call him a pastor, this apostate, whatever he was, religious leader. He remember him getting up and saying, we're all the same. He goes, no one, I'll never forget what he said. He says, no one has the truth. We all just have pieces of the puzzle. Every one of our religions and churches and, and groups, we just have a piece of the puzzle. And if you put them all together into a mosaic, we find out who God really is. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, and I, we, <laughs> I, he and I didn't, we didn't, we never formed a bond. I remember thinking, you're the one who's puzzled, pal. My God is complete. <laughs> There's one true God. And he's not a mosaic that we can just keep adding to. He's not Build-A-Bear. He's not Build-A-God. He's the only one true God and the rest are false, fakes, frauds, and you're a false teacher. And we had, we didn't see eye to eye, let me just say that. But he was false. He was a false teacher, a false prophet. And it says here, Jesus is the holy and true. He's the only one. He's the only one. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are the only true God, the Godhead, the Trinity. And so he says here, he holds the keys of David also. And the keys were, were a symbol of authority. Once again, it's stressing his divinity. It's uh, the, the keys of David symbolically refer to a promise made in Isaiah 22, verse 20. And Isaiah 22, verse 20, follow me on this, where it says, <clears throat> uh, Isaiah, in that day I will summon my 
servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder, here we go, the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And Jesus is symbolically referring to this this. Uh, prophecy, but this has been prophetically fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, in the context of what I just read, God was replacing Hezekiah's treasurer, Shebna, who was unfaithful, with Eliakim, who was faithful. He And this the treasurer with a key was the only one who could admit into the king's presence. He also had authority over the king's treasure and he also had a key on his shoulder and the picture it was a symbol of authority traced back to the Davidic kingship and the Davidic covenant. They were given this 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 authority. Jesus we see here in Revelation that Jesus Christ has that key now. He's the one with that key now. He is the heir of David. And it's not symbolic, but Jesus has the real authority. It's fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, back in Revelation 1.18, remember what we saw? He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has the keys. And he, we can only approach, just like with, with uh, the, the treasure, with the symbolic authority, we can only approach God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can approach Him. John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is prophetically fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Oh, this, this picture of the authority and the keys fulfilled. We can only get to God the Father through Jesus. There are many ways to, you know, like my, like, like my adversary here, uh, he's long gone now. He's moved on to who knows what. Uh, he, he, he maybe he's overseeing a Buddhist temple or something. Who knows? But he, 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 we, he says, you can get to God anyway. Many roads to get to God. No, no. There is one way. It's through Jesus Christ. The rest are false roads. They are the, we have to enter through the narrow gate, not the wide gate, not the wide road. That's a highway to hell. They are all, they are all leading to nowhere. Leading to judgment. There's one way to God the Father, and that's who Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. And Jesus also controls the spirit, treasures. Just like this, uh, this guy could control the treasures because he has a key. Jesus controls all the spiritual treasures of God. He controls them. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. They all can be found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone, that is the way. Jesus has the keys. It says in verse 7 that he opens and shuts. He is the one who can open and shut. He's the only one. Uh, at this time, a very well-known God in Asia Minor, a well-known God was had the name of Janus. And I'm just going to read you a few facts about Janus here. He was the pagan God of doors. He was referred to as the God of beginnings. That's how we got the, the, the word January. First month of the year, God January, God Janus. The beginning of the month of the Roman calendar comes from his name. Janus was believed to be the protector of doors. Protector of doors. Even today, the keeper of the doors is still called a janitor. 
a janitor. <laughs> uh, taken from the name Janus. As the keeper of the doors, Janus was known as the opener and shutter. Since the worship of this false god, the opener and shutter was very strong in Asia Minor. I'm reading from... Um, oh, I don't even know the name of this book anymore. But anyway... Uh, this is not listed here, but was he was very the he was very well known in Asia Minor, worshipped in Asia Minor, which is why Jesus, when he's speaking, now you understand what he's saying here when he says he's speaking to the church in Philadelphia. He says, "He no he that open opens and no one shuts, and he that shuts and no one can open. I have set before you an open door, which we're going to see in verse eight. The he, he was saying that the pagan god Janus was a counterfeit. Jesus is a true opener and shutter. He, it's an open and shut case with Jesus. He's the real one who has the authority to open and shut every door. Every door, spiritually, every door on, on earth. There's no such thing as coincidence. No, no, no. God, is, Jesus is in control. In control. And he's making a point here. Don't listen to this Janus guy. I am the one who opens and shuts the doors. Whenever Jesus says this, he's always speaking against some false god. We saw that last time in Sardis. We, we've seen that several times in the different letters. So, anyway, verse 8. He goes from to, to verse 8. And now he tells the good. Once again, all good, nothing bad with this church. Verse 8, he says, <clears throat> I will, um, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you, before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So we see the good. Jesus says, I know your deeds. We already talked about in Revelation, that deeds don't save us, but we, we, they show that our faith is real. They have the deeds. They have the works that show that they're saved by faith. We know we're saved by faith. We've been through this many, many times. Saved by faith, but if faith is real, there will be works that follow that faith. They don't save us, but they show that our faith is real, and they have that. They have the deeds that back up their talk. All right. Now, he also says, I've given you an open door that no one can shut. Not even Janice can shut this door. I've given you an open door. Philadelphia was located at the entrance, is located at the entrance to a mountain pass. And it, this pass takes them to the inner region of Asia. It takes them into the heartland of Asia. It's, there was a highway that went through Philadelphia that was used by the Roman legions and also as a trade by the trade caravans. And Jesus also used Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia, this highway, the spirit as a spiritual highway into the heart of Asia. He gave them an open door for evangelism and missions to reach Asia. He gave them that, that open door. <clears throat> God has also given us in New Hope, if you're from New Hope, given New Hope Community Church an open door. New Hope, before we started the church 20 years ago, was known as a graveyard for churches. Seven Bible-believing evangelical churches that had started before us didn't make it. They failed in a very short order. It's, it's tough. I can, I can see why. Believe me. I can see why. But God has given us an open door. They laid the found, found, they laid the foundation, those churches. They spread the gospel. They planted. They watered. And by God's grace, we're building on that foundation that they laid. And, and God has given us an open door in the midst of many, many challenges. Uh, Woo! All that you're seeing all over the country, we saw 20 years ago. 
We said, and I told people, I told my pastor friends, I told everybody, you, New Hope is a microcosm. It's a picture of what the whole country is going to be like in 20 years. And boy, has it ever been, uh, boy, has it ever come true. First Corinthians 16, and First Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, listen to what he says, Paul talking. He says, but I will stand at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Great open door and opposition go hand in hand so often. And, and that is true of the church. We, I know in our New Hope Community Church, open door. We've somehow survived. We've made it. Uh, but yet lots of opposition all along the way. And now we're facing a whole new set of challenges, just like all the churches in America, where the whole church is in America, all the churches who are Bible believing, gospel preaching, true churches, not woke, not fraud, false teachers, but true churches, Bible believing churches, gospel preaching churches, we are facing a battle. We are facing a spiritual battle. We are facing the, the, the birth pains of persecution. We are getting a, a big pushback. Uh, you can just see it with coronavirus and, and how they're trying to, you know, protests and riots are okay, but churches can't be open. Oh no, that's, that's a super spreader. Uh, but, oh, but we're not going to limit protests, just churches. Uh, unbelievable. Look what de Blasio said in, in New York City. You know, we're not going to limit protests, just the churches got to stay shut. It was, it's crazy, except we know where this is coming from, right? Uh, we know what's going on. And, and churches are facing a whole new set of challenges in the USA. We better be ready for it. And he says to the church, and this is a good challenge for us because the church is no longer you know, accepted and loved and, and, and seen as positive in our society. He says, I know that you have little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The the church in Philadelphia was the smallest of the seven churches. Christians in Philadelphia were a minority. It was called Little Athens. There were so many temples and idols in Philadelphia that was known as, as a Little Athens. Uh, he says, yet when you, reminds me a lot of, of, of New Hope Community, New Hope, New Hope Community Church being here in New Hope. It's like a, it's like a little microcosm of like New York City or San Francisco. Uh, that's what people, Consider it and in the same spiritual challenges, but he's uh, he gave he gave them he he said you kept my word he says to Philadelphia you kept my word you didn't deny my name you didn't deny Jesus Christ later when the Muslims and the Turks flooded into Asia Philadelphia was the only city that stood firm they had gotten it from the church they stood firm for centuries it was the only Christian city in Asia until it finally fell at the end of the 14th century. That's how long it lasted. They, they stayed true to Jesus Christ. But even today, there's still a thousand Christians. You know what's going on in the Middle East? The, the Christians are being butchered. There's genocide with the Christians. Uh, the our media doesn't touch it. They're happy to see it happening, right? Most of the media is anti-Christ and anti-Christian. Of course, they're not going to talk about it. But that's what's happening. They're what they've wiped. They're wiping systematically wiping out the Christians. Can you imagine that happened to another religious group? We can't even. You call somebody from another religion a, a, a bad name, and it's a headlines. But but they're being what butchered, killed in in the Middle East, no problem. Systematically destroyed, no problem. Our media is behind, is affirms that and is excited about that. Trust me, I've, I've talked to these dodos. Uh, the, the, it's Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist with most of our media today. But, but even today, 
in the Philadelphia, there's still a thousand Christians living there. Besides Smyrna, it's the only church that's still there. Out of these seven churches, only two survived. Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia is still there. Reminds me a lot, once again, of New Hope Community Church, where this little church, we're surrounded, the only gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church in our area, and yet, we're st- by God's grace, we're still here, we're still faithful. We don't have a building, but we have a body of Christ for 20 years. We don't have a building. We're not looking for a building. We want to stay house church uh, mentality. We meet on Sundays, but, but the idea is, is that we're, we're underground. Uh, you, that's the, how we're going to survive as we move forward in this country. I'm telling you, all the churches better be preparing for this. It, but we don't have a body, but we have, a, but we have the body of Christ. We have a church family. Jesus says, I've given you an open door. And this is a prophetic picture of another church age. Remember, once again, these are seven letters to seven churches. Remember, we talked about that. And and seven specific churches at that time. But they also apply to all churches universally. But also, they they represent prophetic phases of church history. You look at the chart here. We've been going through this chart as we go through the seven letters and we're down, we're down to the sixth one in Philadelphia. And this is um, the next phase. The last phase we looked at was the Reformation, which a lot of negatives, but there was at least they put the word, the word of God in people's hands again, which was the key for the sixth phase. The sixth phase is 1570 to 1750. 1517, I'm sorry, 1517 to 1750 is the next phase. The next phase, it's the modern mission movement, okay? The, 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 once again, the word got into the people's hands and because of the Reformation, we talked about not being revived, but at least the positive was that, that the Bible got into people's hands and they read the word of God and they read the Great Commission and it sparked a, a new movement. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission. And they saw that, and they and, and it was finally sparked after the Reformation. It was sparked 1750, this next phase, 1750 to 1950. You see the sixth phase, Philadelphia, prophetic phase. 1750 to 1950 is the sixth phase. It's the modern missions movement. Now, there was always church missions, but this really went crazy. It was almost like the New Testament church. Back when the New Testament church was there, it was on fire for uh, uh, first 300 years. The church was on fire. It reached so many people, and but it came to a screeching halt because the Word of God was buried under tradition and, and under false teaching and but but the but it, the bible and, and, and during the reformation the bible and the second coming are rediscovered and finally in 1750 it sparked the next phase it sparked revivals and the revival of worldwide missions worldwide missions is still going on today but it really peaked in about 1950 since 1950 the the worldwide mission movement has been on the decline we are no longer replacing the missionaries that are coming off of the mission field this has been going on for a long time the third world missionaries thank god are picking up a lot of the slack a lot of them are coming here the usa has become a, a big mission field now a 
lot of them are coming here to witness, but the third world and, and the, the indigenous missionaries, the native missionaries have, have, are the key now. They're the ones making the impact now. It, but, but for many of you, some, many of you remember how big world missions was in the United States and Great Britain. Big, big. It's hard to imagine, but at one time, world missions was almost non-existent. Before 1750, almost non-existent. It's hard to even imagine that, but it had, it had been buried over the years. It had been buried and it stopped. The Word of God was buried. Finally, the Word of God comes out. World missions is re-sparked. Looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Focused on that once again. But, it, but it's hard to imagine that at one time, it was not even thought of. In fact, William Carey, who God used to spark the missions movement in the 1700s, William Carey, he was the first foreign missionary of this time period. He was a shoe cobbler in England. He read the Bible. He read the Great Commission. He became burdened for India, the millions of people who didn't have the gospel in, in India. And so he went and uh, he went to his elder board at his church and said, I believe God's calling me to be a missionary to India and reach people in India. And you'll never believe what the elders said to him. They said, Young man, when God chooses to convert the people in India, he will do it without your help or ours. Sit down. They tell him to sit down. He said, we don't have to do anything. Woo! Scary, right? That's how, how incredibly blind. But the Word of God finally opened the eyes and, 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 uh, the God, God gave them this open door. Kerry in India, Judson in Burma, Hudson Tower in China. If you've ever read the YWAM books, YWAM has a great series of missionary books uh, about all the missionaries then and many from now. Incredible stories about how God opened the doors. I want to encourage you to read them. They're short, they're quick reads, you know, 100 pages, really for teenagers, but I ate them up. I ate them up. I love them. And, and I would encourage you to read the YWAM books. An open door that no one can shut. It started here prophetically from that chart, the sixth phase, 1750 to 1950. Still going on, but not as strong as it did. It peaked 1950, but an open door that no one can shut. This is prophetic of this time period. We see in this phase of church history, time and time again, God giving an open door through this time phrase. Uh, Africa. Just look at Africa. What happened in Africa? Africa, at one time, <clears throat> there were more missionaries' graves than there were converts. It's hard to imagine that now. We can't even keep up with the evangelism and the explosive missions growth in, in Africa. There's so many Christian countries there now. But, but at one time, there were more missionaries' graves than there were converts. It was a dead, but yet God gave them an open door. They kept going. And... I remember this one missionary couple. They were, I remember reading the story of this one missionary couple in the 1800s. They, this young man and, and his new wife, and they got on the boat to sail to Africa from England, and the ship captain said, don't, don't get on this boat. Go back. He tried to talk them out of going to Africa. And he says, don't you understand what's going on? He said, there's no converts in Africa. There's just death waiting you. Nothing good can happen. You, you, don't you understand? You are going to die for nothing. And they said to the captain, we're getting on this boat. We're going to Africa. We already died before we left. 
an open door. And we saw what happened in Africa. Massive numbers of Christians now. They're sending out the missionaries. Massive numbers of Christians. God gave open door after open door in this phase, this prophetic phase of number six with, with Korea. In 1900, Korea was dead spiritually. The missionaries could not break through. The expert said, give up on it. It's unreachable. Unreachable. But we know what happened. The revival that hit the Korean church. Now in Seoul itself, there's one church with a million members. In one single church. There's a million members in one church in Seoul. And they are sending out missionaries all over the world. Wherever you go, there are missionaries from Korea now. That, that God gave an open door. China, China, after many, many years of, of missionaries focusing on China, there was, there, 1940s, there was about uh, a million Chinese Christians. It sounds like a lot, except it's a massive number of people. It was not a lot considering how many people are there. But a million, okay. That's all the missionaries could do. And then the communists took over China. They kicked out the, 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 uh, missionaries out of China. They persecuted the church. They took away their buildings. The church went underground. And everybody, all the experts figured that's the end of the Chinese church. That's the end. But then when China was reopened, Richard Nixon, you know, it happened, China being reopened to the West, when finally some Christian people were missionaries or experts or spokespeople were able to get back into China, they went back in with a lot of fear. They figured... What will we find? A couple thousand Christians? The church will be gone. How could it make it without Western missionaries? They went in. They were staggered. They found 70 million Chinese believers, 70 million. Now there's up to 100 million Chinese Christians in the underground church. There's more Christians than there are members of the Communist Party in China. That's why they're still persecuting them so intently. Still persecuting and jailing, killing, knocking down churches. Uh, You know, it's, it's, there's a, it's amazing the open door that God has gave the church in this time and still in many parts of the world today, like I said, but it, but it peaked, the mission movement peaked. In fact, I'm going to try to put up a, a map here. I'm not ch- sure if Chicky can pull this off for me, but there's a map, an interactive map that shows the spread of world religions from, you know, before the time of Christ up till now. And if you get a chance... Click on it and watch what happens. Watch what happens in 1700. The Christianity had its, well, there was Christianity, but at 1700, the whole world is impacted by Christianity. From 1700 to 1950, the whole world. Look at the interactive map and look what happens at that time. That is prophetic from Philadelphia, the prophetic fulfillment of what happened at this time. Each one of us, though, even though missions has peaked, even though we're hitting some really hard times, wait till we see Leo to see you next time. But even though we're doing that, each of us is still called to fulfill the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're still called. We, we may be called around the world. Still, God could still call you around the world or around the block. Might be a short-term mission. Might be a long-term mission. God could call us anywhere at any time. Are we willing to go? Are we ready to go with the great news of Jesus Christ? It reminds me of the first marathon. A lot of people know the you know, first Olympic marathon was, uh, you know, uh, eight, what was the first marathon here? Um, 1896, when they started up the, mar- the Olympic Games again, they had the first running marathon, 1896, that was the first one. But that wasn't the first marathon. That was based on something else. That was based on something that happened in 490 B.C. In 490 B.C., Athens was threatened by the Persian fleet. The Persian fleet, massive fleet, had showed up to conquer Athens in uh, 490 B.C. And the general, I'm not going to try to pronounce all these names, they landed on the plains of Marathon, the plains of Marathon, to invade Athens. The, uh, the army, the Athenian army, marched out to fight them, the Persians there on the plains of Marathon. However, they were so outnumbered that the general in charge, General I'm not gonna, General Milt, I'll use him for short. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. He sent his fastest runner, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I'm going to call him Pip, because uh, that's short for the long name here. Sent Pip to, to Sparta to ask for help, because Sparta had all the good fighters, and they had more help. Said, go get Sparta, come and help us. So he ran 150 miles to Sparta in two days. He says, we need help. They said, nope, hope you get wiped out. Good old Spartans. And so he turns around and runs back 150 miles in two more days. He just ran 300 miles in four days. He gets back. He joins the battle. Already in progress. He starts fighting. Can you imagine? They fight against incredible odds. And they somehow win the victory. It was a shocking victory. Shocking victory. They defeated them. The Persians are so stunned. They get back on their ships and start sailing away. And But the general is like, uh-oh, we better uh, warn Athens. If that, that fleet sails back to Athens now, which was not too far away, uh, 26 miles away, if they sail over there and, and show up and say, we defeated your army, the city's liable to, to believe them and, and open the gates to the Persian army. So we better run and tell them that we really won. So he sends Pip, Pip, who has already run 300 miles in four days, fought in a battle, takes off 26 miles, 26 miles to Athens. And he gets there before the fleet gets there, which I don't even know if they were headed there, but he he beats the fleet. He gets there, he enters the city gates, and he says, Rejoice! We conquer. And then he dropped dead. Dropped dead on the spot. He ran that last 26 miles with a message of victory. Are we taking our message of victory to people who are imprisoned, to people living in fear, to people under attack, How is God calling us? What door has he opened for us? 
Who has he called us to to pray about witnessing and keeping our eyes open? Are we willing to go to whomever? Are we willing to go wherever? Whenever God calls us, are we willing to do that? In Luke 10.3, in Luke 10.3, Jesus is... is uh, well, I'm going to read it to you. He's sending out the 72 and he says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 2, the next word is, Go! He says, pray about it and go. Go. Are we willing to go? Are we going? Are we going, like I said, short term, long term, wherever, to whomever? Around the world, around, across the street. What, are we willing to go? Are we willing to... Maybe God isn't going to call us to another country. I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook. But maybe it's adopting a native missionary. Gospel for Asia and all these different mission organizations. You can adopt someone for a dollar a day. You can adopt a missionary that can, that can go where you can't go. And be more effective than you could possibly come. Oh, doesn't let us off the hook. Lots of us are still called to go. I mean, he might, maybe it's adopting as a church a, a people group. That's an unreached people people group that we give and we pray for them. Each church should be adopting a people group and reaching out. Maybe you are the mission field. Maybe you're the mission field because you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. God is calling you to open your heart to Jesus Christ and give your life to him and you can do that now. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to you now? Maybe you are the mission field. Maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Him. You've never opened your heart to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is calling you now to open your heart, to put your faith in Jesus. A prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from the garbage and the shame of my old life. I walk away from that. I ask you to forgive me and to give me a new life because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Forgive me and give me a new life in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Him. I'm giving my life to Jesus. My life to Jesus. And for those of us who are praying about, we've already put our faith in Jesus, but God has been speaking to us. How is God calling us to go? Where? When? To whom? Are we ready any time to give whatever we need to give, to go wherever we need to go. God is calling all of us to fulfill the Great Commission. Father, I pray you would put it on our hearts. I pray that our hearts would be on fire for witnessing in worldwide missions. And it's even here in the United States, the fifth largest mission field in the world, Lord, I pray you would put it on our hearts, a fire in our hearts to reach the USA today. I pray this in Jesus' name. I pray that every one of our churches would be a church of Philadelphia. And we would all be Philadelphians wherever we live. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll finish this up. Philadelphia, next time. Got some intense stuff to still get into, okay? God bless.